Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. There's farm to table, but how about farm to flask? We visit Watercure Farm, the only farm distillery in the northeast of the state, to talk about the unique liquor products they're making. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Farm to table is something we've all heard about, but what about farm to flask? Back in 2017, a law was passed in Connecticut which allowed Connecticut farms to manufacture, store, bottle, wholesale distribute and sell distilled alcohol or spirits they produce on their property, including whiskey, gin, vodka and rum. Despite having a successful farm growing fruits and vegetables in Pomfret Centre, the owners of Watercure Farm decided to give the liquor business a try. I visited The Quiet Corner recently to find out more about this unique business. Daniel, first of all, thanks for inviting us to your amazing establishment. We're in the, uh, the tasting room and the distillery. I guess it's also like in one piece. Just talk us through a little bit of, of what we're looking at, because I can see lots of looks like stainless steel and there's jars everywhere. So just give the listeners a bit of a, a taste of what it is that we're looking at. So, yeah, lots of copper, lots of stainless, lots of glass in front of us. And what's happening is as you kind of walk in here, you're greeted by our... Still, right in the center of the building. We designed everything to, for this to be our centerpiece. And right now, uh, coming up on 200 degrees in the kettle, we're heating up, going to get that to a boil, and we're going to start evaporating our alcohol off. We are kind of similar to a brewery winery in the aspect that we're going to make a mash, we're going to make something that is fermentable, but we go that extra step instead of bottling it at that point. We're going to separate just the nice, the pure alcohol right out of that mash we made. And all we're doing is a separation aspect with the distillation. And I'm kind of looking here. We're looking at our big column. And I'm going to guess it's maybe 15 feet high or so. And we allow the evaporate to travel up that column. And the time it spends in there, it's uh, being refined. Does the size, you know, as you said, it's, it's probably about 15 foot tall. There's like this, uh, this flume that's coming out of the still here. Does the, the, the size of that sort of like help with how refined the product uh, becomes? So yeah, the height of the column has a lot to do with the end flavor of our distillate. So many people use a pot still, a column still. There's all different types of stills that can be used. The same exact science happens in it, though with our tall column and our electrical heat where we're able to control everything precisely, we're able to really fine-tune our flavor profile and tune things into exactly what we want. The flavors we're able to control, so whereas on a different style still, it has a lot more, uh, we call them conjugars, flavors that sometimes they're good, sometimes it's bad, but they're 
flavors that are left behind with, from the original product. We don't want to separate them all because that's our flavor. But the key is leaving in that right amount so when you sip, you have a wonderful product. We're going to get onto the products that you do in a bit because I've tasted some of them and one of them in particular, a whiskey. I'm not a big whiskey drinker and I absolutely fell in love with it. But like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about these various products in a moment. Just give us a little bit of background because Water Cure Farm, I mean, it's as a farm, it's been around, I believe you said, since about 2017. And then something happened and you decided to obviously get into the distillery business. Just give us a little bit of that backstory. Yes. Yeah, so- so maybe 2017, I was in a transition going from working as a paramedic for many years to starting a farm. And we started a small CSA supported by our community and had a farm stand in front of our house. After a couple of years, we got a flyer in the mail from our local state rep, Pat Boyd, and kind of detailing this is one of the laws we help support and pass this year. And next thing you know, my wife and I were sitting there at the dinner table that very day we got that pamphlet in, and it was Farm to Flaskville. How Connecticut Farms, it was an easier pathway for them to open up a distillery. That day we made the decision, no looking back. We started looking for different properties in the town, and about a year and a half later, we were opening up for business. So we opened the doors in end of September of 2019. I was just going to say 2019. I mean, that's like COVID hit. I mean, that's a big, it's a big risk. That was kind of where my uh, thought process was going, but it was six, eight months before the pandemic and we were able to adapt quickly. We uh, did some hand sanitizer for a month or two and it was uh, hard when you first opened wanting to do, uh, you know, whiskey, rums, vodkas and, oh, we got to put that on hold. It was nice to be able to make that during that time, but our dream is making some alcohol that's a nice, precious, I call it liquid gold in a way. The thing I want to put to you is like diversification seems to be the big thing in, in farming. I mean, before we started um, recording this interview, we were talking about the fact that, you know, you've done like the farm stand thing, you know, with the produce that you grow on the farm. How important was it for you to to look at diversifying out? Because like I said, it's not just you other farms in the area are doing it as well. So that's a great thing to, I I enjoy chatting about because you look at farming in, I was about to say Connecticut, it's farming just about everywhere right now. Farmers are looking for different ways to outlet their produce. It's not just the farmer growing tomatoes. He's now growing the tomatoes and putting that into a jar and labeling it as his own salsa. And that right there is actually giving the farmers a lot more value for their for their effort. And just seeing a lot of the farmers in their area open up food trucks, breweries, wineries, started kind of giving us that little push and was enough momentum already there when farm distillery came to be a thing. We said, here's our way to diversify and still keep agriculture as our foundation distillery is unique i mean certainly it's a different thing to do when it comes to uh, you know when you're also a farmer as well but the interesting thing about you and and water cure is that a lot of the ingredients in your liquors come from the farm don't they that's absolutely correct so one of our most unique in a way catches everyone's attention are shiitake mushroom flavored vodka it's one of them polarizing 
things to think about the mushroom in an alcohol. Though shiitake mushrooms, very woodsy, very earthy flavor. And we marry that in a, about a one-year fusion that we just steep vodka and our shiitake mushrooms that we grow. We grow them on white oak. And typically whiskey is barrel-aged and then in a charred white oak barrel. So we use white oak from Whole Forest Products here in Pomfret. We char it up right here at the distillery, and we add those into a vessel that contains our own grown shiitakes that are grown on white oak. We let them sit for a year and blend it down with a little bit of water. Our last batch was at 105 proof and wonderful sipping on its own. Just earthy, savory oak, all wonderful flavors, all wonderfully married together. Apart from these unique flavors that you have created and continue to create in in your liquor products, the bottles as well are sort of like little works of art. Tell us a little bit about the bottles as well, because they look a little bit like apothecary bottles. Right, so I'm reaching over, grabbing one right now so we can look at it. But it's when we opened, we started with 200 ml bottles. And it's just now, after hitting two years, that we have started introducing a 750 ml which is the more common liquor size bottle people are used to. But with the 200 ml bottle, we're able to, when we release our whiskeys, our bourbons in particular, even some of our very sought after products, we're able to release about 200, sometimes less, 150 bottles, 100 bottles of these 200 ml bottles. Whereas if we did that in a 750 format, we're maybe about 50 bottles. So we're able to stretch, and we usually keep it at one per customer, sometimes two, depending on the product, and just try to make it go as far as we can. But these bottles, we've kind of fallen in love with. We can't keep them on their side. They've fallen off. They don't break, and they're just a wonderful, reusable apothecary in a weigh bottle. Tell us a little bit about the, the tasting room as well, because that's another unique part of this, and a great part of it is, of course, you know, if you want to come in, try the various liquors you can, just like a vineyard. It's, you know, tell us a little bit about the, about the tasting room, and what sort of reactions do you get from people when they come in and taste these incredible products? Well, that's kind of the best part, is the tasting room is directly in front of the distillery. So, all in one building, and where we're standing is right next to the glass wall, where you can see the operations happening as you're having your tasting. We keep everything very open where we try to invite everyone to come in back and check out this full operation. And the tasting room is a wonderful addition because now our most sought-after products are sold just through our location only. A few of our products we do have in some area liquor stores, just in Connecticut only, but um, it gives people that opportunity to try before you buy. And it works very well. You're seeing it made right in front of you and you're able to try it. And this vodka may not be for you, but this whiskey or this brandy might be. And why not be able to try them all right here? When you were thinking, obviously, of the various like different types of, of liquor to do, I mean, what were you thinking of? You know, what were some of your inspirations? I know you said, obviously, the shiitake mushroom is, is obviously something that you grow and obviously very inspirational on one of your products. But do vodka, you do things with apples as well. So what were some of the, you know, the inspirations that got you to do these various different types of products? And, of course, you use various different ingredients as well i think believe i believe even like raspberry uh, sorry rhubarb and strawberry don't you yeah that's correct so one of those unique things i've grown up with is always trying to use what's around you a couple years ago we had a wonderful season for apples we were able to fill a few 
barrels and put them away for apple brandy. This year, apples are doing well, so we're going to be hopefully getting into some apple brandy again. Whereas last year, it was pretty poor season for apples. So we didn't, we were able to utilize enough to make our apple spice rum, our more popular products, but we had to kind of take a season off from the apples. And one of those with the strawberry rhubarb was we've got so much strawberries, so many rhubarb sitting here on the farm, and let's let's figure out a way how to make something different, unique with this. And we've still got plenty of other unique fruits and vegetables growing on the farm that we'd love to make into unique drinks someday, but figure we're starting somewhere. Because the, I was going to say, like things like flavoured vodkas, they've been quite trendy for a while now, but you certainly can't get strawberry and rhubarb, you know, as far as I know, other than from you and maybe, you know, where you're selling locally. So that, that puts you like above the rest as well, doesn't it? Because it's yet another different type of taste and it sounds amazing. I'm starting to learn. There's probably someone out there doing it. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there, I've learned there's a cucumber mint out there. I think we're the only ones with the shiitake though. I've kind of been looking around and I still think we're the only ones using shiitake in a spirit and I think we got a good thing going with that. Were you surprised at the reaction from people as well? Obviously local people who know of you, you know, when you suddenly started doing this amazing distilled liquors. Were you surprised at how quickly it sort of it, it gained traction because it's become very popular? So yeah, often uh, yesterday I was chatting with someone about advertising and like I, I'm hesitant oh, every company needs to advertise. How are you getting your name out there? It's an organic approach. Our customers are spreading the word, and each time they come in, it's usually, this is my first time here. Well, welcome. Come on, let's, you know, explain, and let's show you around, and I'll be back. When they come back, it's with three or four of their friends. Those friends are coming back, and it's been a wonderful way to grow, I think. It's we're meeting all these people. It's all hands-on. And we're growing at, I think, manageable pace. But it's surprising how I kind of thought this was going to be my weekend project for the next four or five years. I'll you know, I'll make some liquor. I'll put some barrels away. And we hit two years. And we've got eight part-time employees, one full-time manager, and myself here full-time as well. And we just keep selling out a product. Which is obviously a very nice place to be at. But of course, if you grow too quickly as well, often that can spoil things as well. So I'm, I'm guessing that's on your mind because, as I say, this is very specific. You know, how we were talking at the very top of this interview about the science behind your liquor, what it is that you do, the unique nature of it. Are you just mindful that you don't get too big too quickly and then, you know, the product starts to not be as good as it could be? That's something that I kind of take with pride that I'm the one here. Everything that is in the tasting room that you or anyone may try, I've tasted it. I've sampled it and I've enjoyed it myself. And I guess that's the beauty of the job is what makes it truly enjoyable is if it's not good, I'm not putting it out there. I want you guys to enjoy the best. Fortunately, I don't know how to say it, but fortunately, unfortunately, we've spent a lot of time working on a project, trying to make a cordial, a very unique blueberry cordial. And after uh, three, four months of us steeping it and trying to pull the right flavors out, we couldn't get it to where we wanted. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't what we thought was good to go out on the shelves. We thought, we knew people would buy it, but why put something that's not the best out there? So we kind of held on to it and went, what do we do with this for a while? It, we kind of, him and Hod, it's, we got a lot of 
time and money into this project, but can't just toss it. And eventually, we decided to make it into a gin. We were able to redistill it, and the flavors from the blueberries originally slightly came through and made a wonderful gin with just background you know you definitely had the juniper aspect to it but you had a little body as well and some of the berry tones that just gave it a wonderful representation and all of a sudden our gin went out and we sold that and it flew off the shelves and that there we were happy with we took one product and that's kind of where our mentality is at that bottle goes home with you i guess my thing is i'll take a bottle home i'm gonna put it on the shelf and i'm proud of that i want my friends to come over i want to be able to pour them a nice sample and enjoy it that bottle sits on your shelf i don't want someone having that bottle and having it set on their shelf and go yeah you don't want to try that one i want someone to be proud to say to their friends this is the bottle we got to try so i guess kind of brings us back to our early thing of the standards and all that i'm trying everything that goes out of here and very much like my wife and some of the workers, one of the best things to do is I say, I'll stay here on a late Friday night sometimes. My wife and I, babysitter at home, we'll crack a few barrels. And, oh, this one's ready. And funny because yesterday we were uh, working on some of the barrels. We dropped down two barrels and we were kind of blown away at how great they tasted. <laughs> and uh, my wife was a bit disappointed that she wasn't here for the tasting event. So one of the perks of the job is being able to love what you do and go home and have a wonderful wife at the end of the day that, you know, you can sit there and joke with. And what do you mean? I didn't realize today was the day we were sampling. Why wasn't I there? So work's fun. I was just going to say, I mean, it's so just listening to you and watching you, the passion, obviously, and what it is that you, you do here and, you know, mentioning, obviously, about the barrels as well. It must just be incredible to be the first person to drink, you know, to sample that, you know, as you say, you've created it. It's been sat there in the barrel and then to crack it open and go, wow. Yeah, there was that's always a humbling, you know, time is bringing a barrel that, if, even if it was six months or a year, it was tucked away, pull it down, and maybe one day my nerves will go away on this, but it's always opening up that barrel and going, is this going to be good? And being able to try that and knowing it was sealed up for about a year, however long, oh, that's good. And one thing that I kind of love in this small area is I love whiskey and love the craft and the science about it. And being able to do it for yourself and be on a playing field where you're making some of the best stuff it's it's a nice feeling i i'll say and of course the other thing is as well as you know you're a manufacturer it's it's small base manufacturing at the end of the day i don't think a lot of people in connecticut realize how much manufacturing goes on i mean farming is one thing that's growing and of course you're a grower but you're also manufacturing something you must be incredibly proud that you can actually put you know made in connecticut stamped on that stuff that's true and one of them it's made in Connecticut, though one of the beautiful aspects, it's grown in Connecticut. Our whiskey lines are currently all made exclusively with Connecticut grains. We're not necessarily the ones growing them currently, though we're making sure that the grains are all sourced from Connecticut farms. And it's nice being able to have a bourbon, a rye whiskey, a vodka that's all the ingredients came right here from Connecticut. 
Final question to you, and it's been great talking to you, Daniel, and obviously visiting um, Water Cure Farm and the distillery today. Can you let us in on any little secrets, any little side projects, anything that we can look forward to maybe in 2022 that you've got in mind? 2022. So we've kind of been sold out of the gin for a little while, and we've put that on the back burner with how the whiskey industry is just blown up in a way recently. We, uh, we kind of had our hands in the rum, the vodkas, the whiskeys, and kind of said we needed to really ramp up on the whiskeys again. So the gin's been on the back burner. We can't wait to bring that out. And we're trying to, we're going to come up with a few different uh, infusions, whether it's from something, we're growing a few different unique fruits like quince, medlar, different types of Unique fruits. We've got goji berries. Which are very trendy at the moment. I know. Uh, still kind of funny because a lot of people don't know they grow around here. Like uh, we have figs that we're growing on our farm that we might do a fig-infused vodka. So we're gonna, we've been you know, really ramped up on the whiskey, but we're going to kind of get back into a few of the flavored vodkas and that kind of thing real soon. Well, we will look out for it, and of course, people can find out all the details at your website. So, of course, even better, they can come and visit you as well at the uh, at the Water Cure Farm and come and taste the stuff. But uh, Daniel Nagy of Water Cure Farm continued success. Thank you for making such great products and for being such a great ambassador for grown and manufactured in Connecticut. Oh, Brian, very uh, appreciative that you were able to take the time and come out and spend some time with me today. And if you're interested in visiting Watercure Farm and trying their liquor products in the tasting room and seeing where the magic happens as well and what products they have for sale, then visit their website at watercurefarm.com. And don't forget to tell your friends. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Winter is coming, so think about preparing your plants and trees for the season. Green Valley Tree LLC can help prepare your trees to withstand heavy snow, ice, and wind with cabling, trimming, and removal. We also do pruning. In fact, we do it all. Call Green Valley Tree LLC today on 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Officials are considering ways to handle an increase in car thefts and other crimes in Connecticut, some of which were committed by young people. Juvenile justice advocates say they want to ensure reform is not reversed and that strategies addressing the rise in crime also support community needs. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service reports. Data released last month by the state show that the number of young people admitted to juvenile detention centers dropped 87 percent between 2005 and 2020. Erica Nowakowski with the Tau Youth Justice Institute, which provided data for the report, says policymaker solutions should focus on tackling basic needs, such as housing, employment and mental health services. 
We should be focusing on prevention and we should be making sure that those resources and those community services are available and accessible to them so that we don't get to a point where they feel that they need to steal a car because they need to make money to help support their family. Motor vehicle theft in the state increased nearly 41 percent between 2019 and 2020, but was on the decline in years prior after peaking in the 1990s. The Tau Institute is supporting the state's Juvenile Justice Policy Oversight Committee in its planning for 2022 legislative recommendations. I'm Emily Scott. The Connecticut Port Authority were upbeat about their state peer project at their final board members meeting of the year recently, despite the fact they have only recently received a final federal permit for work from the Army Corps of Engineers some nine months later than they had hoped for. During the meeting held by teleconference, Authority Chair David Kouros remained optimistic about the cost and time schedule for the project, despite a large dredging aspect of the project being pushed back almost a year because of the delayed federal permit. In a Port Authority statement, a spokesperson said finalisation of the project costs and schedule will be discussed with all project partners now the final permits are in hand, and they hope to update the Authority Board on both matters at either the January or February Board meetings in 2022. During the meeting, Port Authority critic Kevin Blacker said the Authority's words had become meaningless because of promises they couldn't keep. A new board member Felix Reyes from the City of New London, where State Pier is based, said the project had a perception problem in the eyes of the public and the press and said the authority needed to work to improve that. The controversial State Pier project was originally slated to cost around $93 million but has accelerated to $235 million and it is still unclear whether costs could rise again due to the delays the project has suffered to date. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, plans by a well-known local East Haddon businessman and town official to open a retail marijuana shop were put on hold recently after the town's first selectman, residents and members of the Planning and Zoning Commission questioned the appropriateness of the proposed site or any location in town at a public hearing. Robert Kasner, chairman of the town's Economic Development Commission, proposed to open the retail shop in a building that now houses a package store and an architect's office, adjacent to a popular cafe at the busy Town Street intersection. Kasner submitted his application to open the shop in late October before the town's Planning and Zoning Commission voted to impose a moratorium on marijuana businesses until next June. The Zoning Commission voted unanimously to delay any further action on the matter until a January 11th meeting. In the day this week, the State Board Commission has approved funding for a host of projects across the state, including improvements to recreational areas in Groton and New London. The Commission approved $285,000 to upgrade the restrooms at Shenacosset Golf Course and $275,000 to add permanent restrooms at Sutton Park, both in Groton. The Commission approved $583,000 for improvements at Toby May Park on Ocean Avenue in New London. New London Public Works Director Brian Sears said he worked with Grants Coordinator Adriana Reyes to apply for the funds as part of the city's ongoing initiative to update and improve recreational areas. The Commission also approved funding to help reimburse 10 municipalities for police body cameras and video storage devices, including $13,000 for East Lyme and $35,000 for Waterford, and for improvements to courts, including for an HVAC system upgrade and roof gable restoration at New London Courthouse.
In the Norwich Bulletin this week, Norwich City Council members voted unanimously to opt into a lawsuit settlement agreement that could secure Norwich more than $80 million in damages related to the ongoing opioid crisis. According to a copy of the approved resolution that the city filed in a proof of claim in the Purdue Pharma LP Chapter 11 bankruptcy trial, Norwich is owed in excess of $80 million, it says. The comments from the city to the bulletin came after a vote without discussion and followed an executive session, a lawfully allowed closed-door meeting among elected officials. Although the city is asking for $80 million, there is a strong possibility the funds will be delegated locally to a lesser degree. Norwich City Council members had a decision to sue the pharmacy company themselves or sign on to a national lawsuit involving more than 20 states' attorney generals. And in the Chronicle this week, nearly two years into the pandemic and Wyndham School Board members have approved new safety guidelines for winter sports as the area experiences a COVID surge. During a Wyndham Board of Education special meeting recently, Wyndham Superintendent of Schools Tracy Youngberg said superintendents in the area met and discussed the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference guidelines. Youngbird said the district is struggling with really high COVID-19 case rates, a situation further impacted by the Delta and Omicron variants. School board members approved the guidelines by a vote of 9 to nothing during their meeting with the understanding that aspects of the pandemic could change rapidly, prompting more action later. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays wherever you are, as well as a great New Year. And we'll see you again in 2022.